With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host. Doubled up today with Brady's studio full hero guys. Both Brady Papinga and Brady Quinn are on the line. We're going to do a little college football and NFL. Try to mash it all in here because it's it's been a huge week in just the game of football. Uh, we're going to lead off here with Brady Quinn. Uh, obviously, we've, we've been doing the college football show throughout the year. And uh, obviously, this the, the championship was last Monday. Uh, game's now in the books. Alabama's your champion. What's sort of your big takeaway from that game, Brady? Uh, the interesting part, I think for me at least, was I don't know how many of us really thought special teams was going to be the deciding factor in that game. And also right. the fact that, you know, Alabama was really kind of back on the heels. They could not stop Deshaun Watson and, and Clemson, Clemson's offense. I should just say Deshaun Watson, though, was as many yards as he right. 550 total yards. He had about 478 that he accounted for. So a pretty remarkable performance, even though it was a loss. Uh, but that being said, I think you go back to the special teams play, the surprise onside kick when it was tied up at 24-24. <clears throat> Pretty yep. gutsy call, but I think at the time, Nick Saban looked at his defense. They saw his defensive front getting worn down and probably said to himself, we're not stopping these guys anytime soon. We have to find a way of creating momentum. And that was really what it started with. It started with the onside kick to get in field position, to get a score, and then obviously the big uh, return for a touchdown as well. And that, that pretty much was the difference in the game. Hey, Brady, Brady Papinga, I know you served on these things just like I did. Uh, the kick return unit for for Clemson, best I could tell anyway, I was looking at that spider cam thing. ESPN was doing that sort of super broadcast thing or wherever with that on like three channels. And you go on the ESPN yeah. app and actually see this crazy spider cam. It was almost like watching all 22, but it would continue to move. I thought, you know, independent of the game situation, it was 24-24 when they decided to do the little onside kick. I did notice as well, tackle was the position. I played usually either guard, one of the two center spots. I've had a little tackle on kick return teams. But I noticed how narrow they were. And and right when the guy did it, it was like, oh, okay, I get I get it. Because we always had this rule, you had to be wide as the widest. If they, you know, if they, they, they spread a guy out uh, and you weren't as wide as him, there was a danger that could happen what happened in that game. Yeah, and also you got to be able to go off of the kick of the ball. So many guys try to get a jump on the ball, and they anticipate the ball being kicked, and so they start trying to take their drops to go and block before the ball is kicked, and that gives the kicker an opportunity right. to give you a little okey-dokey and uh, surprise inside you. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of mechanics there, but obviously Clemson did not follow through on Exactly. Well, I, I know a lot of people, uh, it, there's a side story of this for us up here in New England. Uh, the, the Patriots tried to su- surprise onside earlier this season against the Eagles. Didn't work. I think it was Eagles game. Didn't work. He got a ton of flack for it. It was sort of a, they were up 14, nothing an aggressive call at the time. Uh, they got a formation they liked where they wanted to run it and they didn't execute it very well. 
But I, that was the thing that popped in my head. It's like, oh, man, that's that's the time you want to do it. It's almost like with a punt fake where when you have them aligned a certain way, maybe you catch them in an overload or something like that. If the game situation allows you to do it and you got you got to coach with balls that clank, you go ahead and pull the trigger. I, I really like seeing that. I, I love aggressive play calls like that. But uh, so all that aside, this is a question that's sort of beyond just the, the nuts and bolts of the game itself, but something I wanted to ask you guys. I, I'm raising my hand here, sort of scout's honor. Uh, obviously doing the college football show with you guys all year, doing uh, doing games uh, for ESPN3 all season. I obviously follow and work in the game of college football. I watched the first half of that Alabama-Clemson game. Uh, I actually fell asleep midway through the third quarter and ended up, you know, obviously catching, obviously ended up catching the score uh, the next day. And then you know, on my DVR, rewatching the, the quarter and a half that I missed. The, the reason I bring that point up is the, the NCAA has gotten a little bit of heat this season for, for having the game when they had it, you know, uh, after, you know, whatever it was July or January 11th, 12th, whatever, whatever day we were on 10th, I think it was. But anyway, the point is, it's you've already gone through a round of the playoffs. It's a little bit late, and it's on a Monday night. So it kind of hits in a little dead spot. You know, you just got through the craziness of wildcard weekend. Do you see any error in the timing, or is this just it is what it is, and Matt, you're old. Brady Quinn. I, I, I personally loved it because you weren't competing with anything else. I love the way ESPN went about covering it. They called it the megacast. I mean, it's mega you cast, literally watch yes. it in every way possible. I even think the colorblind people, they had, they had a different broadcast for them so they could differentiate the colors of the team's jerseys and all that. Uh, but it was, it was absolutely unbelievable the way they went out promoting it, making it feel big. You have to think that, um, you know, the college football playoff would love to continue to work with ESPN moving forward because they have that kind of power to do something like that. But I, I personally loved it. I thought it was a very, very exciting game. Uh, I'm still – still curious how you could possibly fall asleep Chatham. you've got to be dead tired at this point of the season it's age i think it's age well one of the things i noticed in the game i'll, I'll send this back to to brady Papinga, but one of the things that did stand out for me is i guess if you know if, if i'm doing this like fantasy football as if it were in college there was a, there were obviously a lot of points i think the the first half they were a little harder to come by things the gates opened up a little bit in the third and fourth quarter but one of the things that struck me, and obviously at the time, especially through the first half when I was still wide awake, was evaluating Deshaun Watson. Uh, it was I watched him actually in the Notre Dame game earlier this year, Brady, and then I watched him in the ACC championship game. Those are the really only two long looks uh, against uh, against North Carolina at the game that I got of him this season. So I really was interested in, you know, is this guy a legit pro prospect or or not and he, he really was impressive as you mentioned a lot of move the pocket stuff but some of the odd odd you know off balance just rifle throws was it was like randall cunningham s to me like long whippy release just could fling it and and threw some dimes on patterns down the field too that were exceptional so i, I found that interesting but okay so side story with all of that as they got into that second half i was blown away with how many busted coverages. If you go back and just watch sort of a highlight package uh, of the national championship game, you go back to most of the biggest plays and draw a circle around the guy who's catching the ball. There's not anyone within like five yard circle, 10 yards in some cases. I was struck a little bit knowing how good that you know, supposedly both of these two defenses were, how much just wide open the real estate there was out there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that just goes to the fact that you're in a big-time game, and a lot of those kids, I mean, these teams have faced each other all year long, but just maybe the moment got to some of them a little bit to where you're doing a little bit too much, 
and both defenses were on their heels for the majority part of the game. And I know just playing defense, man, Matt, you can you can say for this too. And all of a sudden, one other part of your defense starts to break down. You start to think, okay, I got to do their job, so that you go out of your job responsibility, and then all of a sudden you trigger another guy that tries to cover for you, and it just turns into a big mess. So I can see that maybe being a potential there with the, the reason behind a lot of bus coverage. One thing I'd like to give a little credit to as well is Lane Kiffin, because what he started to do is he started to displace the tight end O.J. Howard outside. And what happened was when Mackenzie Alexander, their outstanding cornerback, went out with a hamstring injury in that game, it forced an inexperienced, um, I think it's Adrian Baker, if I'm not mistaken, or Adrian, uh, yeah, Adrian Baker, number 21. He came into that cornerback position, didn't have quite as much experience playing uh, and, and I think that was where some of the confusion came. There had to be communication, obviously, because of a tight end being out there. They weren't exactly sure how to cover him at times or who was responsible for him. And it seemed like on, on some of those big plays, it was either a miscommunication or it was Baker missing a tackle on the one play where Howard really turned it up the sidelines for a touchdown. So uh, I think that played a part as well. So give credit to Lane Kiffin, but uh, also you got, you got to kind of notice the fact that Clemson was without their best cornerback uh, in Alexander. Yeah, one of the things I noticed when I would just work in games during the year, and the MAC is a really wide open league, so we're going to get even more of this. Actually, the game we saw there in, in, the, in the national championship game looked like a MAC game, but you see a lot of cover four, and you or it's much thinner underneath, and everyone's on top of everything. It looks like virtually every coverage is bail. I just noticed a lot of that where guys are running a slant or skinny posts. And every tackle is coming from high down onto them. It just looks like a lot of wide open running routes. The, the reason I even bring that up is because I'm trying to sort of do the, you know, junior scout guy just for the day thing and say, you know, does this guy have it? And this is, there's NFL guys all over the field on both sides of the ball, obviously, but the scheme stuff's a little bit different. And it was a little difficult to judge Watson because some of those windows. It's just it. What you know? It's nice location by him. It's just him in Coker as well, acknowledging, oh, there's the wide open dude, executing the throw, but there's no one around him. They're not, they're not real tight windows. So it just felt like this is really entertaining. I I don't know if this is necessarily pro style football. But that's not the point. It's still a fun game. But one, one thing as we kind of look forward to next year in college football, there was there's something that's kind of interesting, and I think it's something that people should talk about at least discuss and look at is the preseason rankings. So, you know, okay. obviously right after the college football season ends, everyone always starts talking about next season and who's going to be the top teams. And they throw in Clemson at number one, and rightfully so. They've got a lot of guys returning. Uh, and then they throw Alabama in there. And, and Alabama's a team that, I get it, they just won a national championship, but they graduate a lot of guys. Coker, the quarterback, Henry, their running back, Kelly, their center, Raglan, Ashawn Robinson, Jonathan Allen. I mean, there's a ton of guys who will be gone. O.J. Howard. Um, they're all gone, and I get it. Nick Saban's good, and they have a great recruiting class coming in, but you're putting this team at number two in the preseason ranking, and I think what happens is you're doing them, other teams, an injustice because when you set the standard at Alabama's two, it's, it's kind of easier for them to kind of stay within that top of the pack. Even if they drop a game, right. they can still find their way back in, where if you're a team that's sitting at maybe 30 or 35 in the preseason rankings, and you, and you might have a great season like North Carolina last year, all of a sudden it gets really hard to creep back up into that top four of the college football playoff. And, and we didn't see it this year because North Carolina didn't beat Clemson, but they were ranked 10th at the, at the second-to-last rankings. And had they beat Clemson, it would have been curious to see if they would have leapfrogged everyone to get up into that number four spot. So 
it is an interesting conversation. Like when we're sitting here talking about looking forward to college football to next season, is we should be a little more delicate with how we go about ranking some of these teams because it has a huge factor at the end of the season. Like the pole position, right? Like there's a there's a super advantage to being up front there. It'll be interesting to see where it goes because I I, I like it from this view. I mean, I, you guys know I'm an Iowa fan. That's where I grew up, and I still kind of cheer and and work for the Big Ten there for a little while, and had kind of my ball on the fact that Michigan State had a dog of a bowl game. Iowa had a dog of a bowl game. Ohio State looked great, but actually finishes fourth, and and Stanford jumped them, and I think ends up three in the AP poll at least. Uh, which I found kind of interesting because Clemson, you know, was right there with Alabama. So, so the coach, the, well, so the voters kept them at two, which I, which was interesting. I think that was right to do. I liked that they kept it that way. Alabama leads. That means an SEC team obviously wins at this particular season, but ACC, which usually doesn't get a lot of, doesn't usually get a lot of juice. I think a, a year ago, we're talking about Florida state and kind of everyone else. Uh, and then Florida State gets beat, which I think, you know, really put a, a bit of a stain on the ACC, not knowing what they were. But for Clemson to hang right on the heels of Alabama, it, keep the, it keeps this conversation from going, whoa, SEC is so much better than everyone. And because we didn't get to see Ohio State in that final for tournament, you don't really know where they slot in, although they looked pretty impressive in their bowl game. But I, I guess, if anything, for me, the big takeaway there is it's still pretty close. You know, the Big 12 had a bad had a bad tournament. The Pac-12, pretty solid. Uh, so I don't think you come out of this bowl season with one conference just far out in, the, in front of everyone. I think it was a pretty competitive field, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, let me transition here into last week's games, and we'll just sort of – I'll tee it up to you, Brady Papenga. Obviously, there's four games on the docket. Uh, any of the four that stood out for you? I know, obviously, in the week you wrote a good column about the, the Packers and the, and the Redskins and sort of the schizophrenia that went on with both of those two offenses. Obviously, it plays out that Aaron Rodgers has a great game and the offense bounced back. Something from that game, something from any of the other that grabbed your attention. Yeah, for the Packers game, you know, as they're calling it with uh, Fox Deportes. base. So I was able to see it live, and it was pretty funny because in the first quarter, you know, the Packers went out. They only accumulated 11 total yards, and that's when they went down 11 nothing. And then after the game, I caught up with Aaron Rodgers. And I was interviewing, and I was like, bro, what the heck? I was like, how do, how do you go when you put up 11 total yards in the first quarter? And then the rest of the game, you guys just pretty much dominated. He's like, oh, we got the wind in our back, is what he said to me. I was like, are you kidding? Yeah. The wind was that big of a factor, and he was joking, but uh, – the thing that really jumped out at me in that game, though, I thought was the play calling because Mike McCarthy finally adjusted his play calling, taking into consideration the deficiencies they have on their offensive line, not only in the sense that he was doing a lot more quick game, but also in the running game, I thought he did an excellent job of, of throwing some counter looks at him and doing some stuff that he hadn't done in a quite a long time. Talking about putting certain personnel groupings out there, like one of them was where they had Coon as like a fullback, teachback moving guy, and then they put Randall Cobb in as the tailback. That ultimately, yep. and then they put the uh, Washington Redskins defense to sub defense so they could spread them out to create those running lanes. That ignited their running game. And then after that, they complement that with bringing the two tight ends and then Eddie Lacey and obviously Coon as a fullback and just pounded them. And they're really just keeping them off guard as to what kind of personnel grouping they're going to use and still being able to run the ball. And so I, I thought McCarthy was masterful in keeping that defense off guard of the air and doing his thing. He had that little option play there where he would basically he had the option of either sticking the ball in the belly of the running back and just letting him have it and running yards or pulling it and immediately throwing a quick hitch route out in the flat guys like Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. And uh, so a lot of that kind of quick game stuff, play calling, running the ball, some uh, you know, creative formations I thought went a long way in that game. This week against Arizona, all that 
kind of stuff gets thrown out the window just because Arizona is just, a, in my opinion, a higher-quality team. But, yeah, they, they threw us off for a loop, did the Packers. Everybody was saying as we were going to that game that the, the Redskins were the favorites. And lo and behold, the uh, Packers never once looked at themselves as being the underdogs going into that game, and it held true. I think, I think a lot of people – excuse me. Uh, a lot of people are going to talk about, you know, the missed kicks and all that. I think what right. always gets overlooked is uh, running back when they fumble. They never receive as much blame as, as, per se, like a quarterback. I mean, God forbid, had Andy Dalton played in that game for the Bengals and he had thrown an interception versus Jeremy Hill fumbling the football, it somehow would have been all on him, even with what Vontaze Perfect and Adam Jones did. It's just, it's just always ironic to me uh, as a former quarterback to see how they kind of always – uh, slide under the radar a bit, I and mean, they receive a little bit of blame, but never as much as if it's a quarterback or even a kicker in this place. And don't get me wrong, I think it's hard to not say that Blair Walsh can't be blamed for that because of how short it was. But, uh, again, right. as a former holder, I will say this too. It's it's not that difficult to spin the football with gloves on. And I would assume I know that if you're, a, if you're a holder and you're in, in, in Minnesota, you're accustomed to being outside in the cold and practicing it, so I was a little bit confused why that wasn't the case. Because it happened twice in the game. Fortunately, Blair Walsh could kick underneath the football to make the first one, uh, but he wasn't yep. able to on the 27-yarder. Yeah, it's the Blair Walsh thing. Is he's getting killed every saying he lost in the game. But if you look at his record inside, like what is it, 35 yards? He's like 95 some odd percent in that range. And, and I'm a guy, too. I'm not hopefully sympathetic to kickers. I've been on a lot of wrong ends of, uh, you know, you play your butt off, you go out, you put your team in position to win, the kicker trots out there, and, you know, he's got one job, and he goes and misses a dinky field goal, and you lose the game, you know. But still, he's operating at a 95% rate. I would love to have, when I played, operated at a 95% rate, you know. So even though he missed that one, which obviously he's, the game decider, I mean, he's still an unbelievable kicker, and they wouldn't even have been in that position without him. So it's all about your perspective and the angle that you look at it. But, man, the guy's one heck of a kicker, and unfortunately he missed the biggest one, but still to operate at 95% rate, that's playing some pretty elite football. Yeah, I I agree to a certain extent. I guess the only thing that I had in my head was kind of to Brady Quinn's earlier point about the laces. You know, it's an in-game operation thing. And and if you've you've held, obviously, Brady, you understand this. If you gave him the laces once or even twice, as happened in the game, then you go over to the holder. And a lot of that – or I'm sorry, to the snapper. A lot of that, how how the – the holder will get the laces has to do with how the, the snapper starts it to you. Most of them have it tuned in so much that they'll, they know the amount of rotations and you should get it about the same wage time. So the fact that they didn't make an adjustment after getting laces twice and the last of them was probably the worst of the group and it's freezing cold later in the day by that time. And again, he still has to make it. You still have to power through it. But it just, to me, looked like the operation. It's always a three-man group. It seemed like between the three of them, they didn't get it straight. Now, I, I say all that, and, and this is to kind of agree with Brady Papenga's point, they didn't score a touchdown. I don't think you deserve to win a wild card game if you don't score a touchdown. I don't think you deserve – I don't think you need to be complaining about not advancing in the playoffs when he couldn't score. So, yeah, the kicker made a bunch of kicks, and he did, he did miss the last one. But uh, And this actually kind of dovetails on, on Brady Quinn's earlier point about the backs. I, I actually thought for the, for the fumble stuff this weekend, 
I thought Jeremy Hill got a lot of heat the way I at least perceived it on, on TV. Cause they kept doing that goofy, the shame cam, you know, when, they, when the kid, when the broadcast cameras put the, they put the cam on the guy that, that fumbled and they just never take it off him. They keep checking back for him, even when the dialogue is actually talking about something else. But I, I say that because I was looking for the same shame cam for Adrian Peterson and Adrian didn't, didn't get it. AD didn't get it at all. And I thought his was much more avoidable because he was carrying the ball without the tip covered. I wrote about that on football by football this week where he has a habit of just kind of taking it out there like a loaf of bread. He's so aggressive. It's not about not trying, but it was sort of that attention to detail. And in this instance, that's terrible football by Peterson, but actually really great football by Cam Chancellor. It was pretty cool to watch his awareness because, you know, you're about to tackle one of the toughest guys to tackle in football, but to be able to to go in there and also be able to find the ball and find out, oh, gosh, this this guy didn't cover the tip up on this one. Do the perfect strip. Get it out. I thought at least in that instance, they, they earned the victory. Uh, my, my quick sort of takeaway here from the weekend was uh, really the only team in my, in my head who did not encounter bad football was, was Kansas City. So we don't get to learn much yeah. because Houston was so historically bad. I really had the feeling that that <laughs> – both the Steelers and the Bengals played really, really bad. They just kept wanting to give it away from one another. I mean, there's half a dozen times you could have thrown personal foul flags on medical personnel from the from the Steelers or their coaching staff or players. And put, I, it, I can't. I really. I'm, it's just my own personal opinion, but I have a hard time buying into the the Bengals blew it. The, yes, they did blow it, but uh, the Steelers blew it too, and just you know blew it a little less, I guess. Uh, but I guess I'm 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 taking this more of what do you what what then can I glean from this as we go into this next week, and I take from it that the only team I came away going wow you know wow was was really Kansas City which is is not really what I went into the weekend expecting now the Packers played great yes but I, there's still that little thing in the back of my head because. I wasn't super high on Washington just because the NFC East was so beat up that I'm still not sure where they're at. So we go into this next week of divisional round games, and I think uh, I think Kansas City's a little bit scary. Now, they could get completely annihilated here by New England, and that, that little storyline will go away fast. But I at least came away going, you know, this is a team that really deserves some respect. Okay, now here, let's transition into the, the, the divisional round, and we'll start with you, Brady Quinn, because I know you got a bail here shortly. Uh, any particular matchup here in the weekend's games that, that sort of catches your attention? Uh, anything where you might find some surprises? Well, I'll let uh, Brady Potenga talk about the Packers because it, it feels like maybe they've got their mojo back and maybe they will be able to, <laughs> to beat Arizona. It's always tough to beat a team twice in a season. So I'm going to talk about the Seattle Seahawks traveling all the way across the country again to Carolina. They just traveled to Minnesota. Now they go back to Seattle. Now they got to go back to Carolina. You guys know from playing, it's tough to have back-to-back road games, but even more so for, the, I think, the Seahawks because they're so far away. Now, they go two days ahead of time, so that should help them adjust. But I'm, I'm a little bit more looking at this game as it was kind of a knockdown, drag-out fight, emotional ride versus Minnesota in their wild-card round game. I, I wonder, can they recover? Can they come back around and be able to play another physical game versus a very stout defense and a, and a very dominant running-style team? Uh, who's rested, who's feeling pretty good right now. Uh, I've got to be curious about that. I'm also curious to see if Marshawn Lynch does indeed play because Christian Michael, at running back, is not the same runner. He's got a little bit more of a burst. He likes to bounce things to the outside and then then go ahead and get to the edges and explode upfield from there. So if Lynch does, how does he fit in? Uh, How effective is he able to be 
and can he kind of give them that lift in the running game? Obviously, uh, Thomas Rawls, when he came in for Lynch, when he was injured, very similar styles in, in running. Uh, not so much, though, with Christian Michael. So that would, that would change a little bit, and I think it, it could be good or bad for the Seahawks. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, can they can they be able to overcome maybe one of the best teams in the NFC this year? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But I feel like whenever you get Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks and, and all that experience going to Super Bowls and then winning a Super Bowl, it, I feel like it doesn't bode well. Something just doesn't sit right with me that they've got another opportunity now in the playoffs to be able to make a run. Or back to you, Brady Papinga, on that Packers game with Arizona, you, you give them a chance. I, I personally had Arizona as one of my sort of darlings, maybe even a Super Bowl favorite coming out of the NFC. Uh, how do you see that game shaking down? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's for, the, for the Packers, it's going to come down again to their ability to protect Aaron and run the football. And in the first meeting, they actually ran the ball pretty well. Uh, Andy Lacey had 60 yards on 12 carries. He just didn't get many opportunities because they found themselves in such a hole so quickly. So then they were playing catch right. ball, and then that's when they're just basically having predictable passing situation after predictable passing situation. And Aaron became a sitting duck where he was sacked a total of eight times, and then Tolzien came in, and he was sacked again. And the Arizona Cardinals were able to come away <laughs> right. with nine total sacks in that game. But, uh, you know, I know this. Mike McCarthy going into that game, he knows the best way to slow down a pass rush, or at least he says it is is to run the ball at them, to tire them down, and then obviously make it to where they can't anticipate the pass, where they can pin their ears back. And so you keep them off balance, you try to tire them out. So I wouldn't imagine – I would be surprised if they don't come out and just try to pound the football, tire down that front, and then keep them off balance. And then at the same time, continue with the quick game like you did against the Washington Redskins and then throw out another kind of different personnel grouping slash formation to keep them off guard, keep them guessing – make them go through their checks as we know it's those 34 defenses that are heavy blitz defenses a lot of times when there's different formations and the strength formation shift there's a lot of moving parts on defense more uh, more times the defense or any of your opponent has to make chip choices and changes the higher likelihood that something breaks down so i could see that being a situation there but one thing though that the, the redskins could not do that i could see coming from a million miles away that ultimately is one of the packers biggest weaknesses was press man coverage. They just didn't have the personnel in the in the secondary. Well, guess what? The Arizona Cardinals are as good as anybody at running right. press man coverage that's epitomized by Patrick Peterson. So, it's going to be a, a tough game for the Packers. I'm going to be really honest with you. To me, Arizona is the most complete team, at least throughout the regular season on a consistent basis. Although, I would say overall, I'd say potentially most complete teams the Seattle Seahawks. But they showed it throughout the whole year. I mean, they're top, I believe, eight Running the ball, throwing the ball, number two overall in, in points scored per game. Carson Palmer's looked fantastic. Their defense does an excellent job of just keeping people out of the end zone. They give up a lot of yards, but when the, the field gets tight and condensed into that red zone, man, they played really good. I think they're number seven overall in points allowed, that Arizona Cardinal defense. So it's going to be one heck of a, t- a challenge for the Packers. I mean, their defense is <laughs> essentially going to have to win it. They're going to have to force turnovers. And that's going to have to be the difference because I don't know if the Packers' offense is going to find more than maybe 17 to 21 points in that game. Well, one of the things that sort of jumps out to me is, and it starts with that Packers game, and I think it really runs through the thread of all of these. All all eight of these teams have, to, to varying degrees, some, some questions to answer this weekend in relation to injuries. Now, it's not like 
we all know this. I mean, we've all been in, in playoff games, and we've all, especially you, Brady Papinga, have been through a Super Bowl run. I, heavy injuries are normal. I mean, it's not like they're not – it's not unusual to have beat-up rosters and to have concerns going in each week. I just only think that this is – it jumps to me that it's different this year and that it seems to be a lot of really key guys. Maybe that's just – more perception than reality, but Devontae Adams going down last week, Antonio Brown getting knocked out at the end of the game, Ben Roethlisberger having this, the, at least the AC sprain, whatever it is, something serious going on. The Patriots with Julian Edelman and basically everyone that plays on their offensive line. Uh, up and down the list here, Jonathan Stewart not playing for the for Carolina. I mean, he's been their workhorse throughout the year. Uh, Greg Olson's played beat up. Uh, Pitts, well, let's see, Denver. Denver's actually one of the more healthy teams out there, best I can tell. Yeah. But yeah, Kansas City, Jeremy, Jeremy Macklin. I mean, he, he has what everyone believes is a blown AC. Turns out he's got a mild a high ankle sprain to come out of the thing. So he may actually play. But Whoa. just sort of the, the oddball circumstances regarding injuries and how those might affect games or might not affect them, I think is kind of a compelling storyline because a lot of these teams are, are really dramatically different in the absence. I mean, you take away Jeremy Macklin, uh, you know, that's Travis Kelsey and, and a two-headed back uh, thing, which is they've still won that way. But it, 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 I think it really changes the face of that team. Antonio Brown, no Antonio Brown. Uh, D'Angelo Williams may be possibly coming back off an ankle. That's I, that's just not the Steeler defense or offense that I think fell in love with or became aware of throughout the season. I think they could easily be a notch back. Uh, and really any of these examples, other than maybe the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals sit relatively healthy. Uh, Seattle, as Brady Quinn mentioned, uh, just the Marshawn Lynch thing is probably the biggest story there. But other than that, they're, they're, they're basically whole uh, other than Jimmy Graham, which that, and that's an old story. But I'm interested to see, and Brady, you actually touched on this earlier. I think it sounded like both of you, and maybe I'm quoting you incorrectly here, but it seemed to feel good about Seattle. I actually came out of the Minnesota game a little put off by them, or at least, you know, just as a gambling man, not someone I felt good getting behind. I played in against Tennessee in the divisional playoff games years and years ago, and it was super cold, and it wasn't a terribly high-scoring game, but we weren't a terribly high-scoring team at the time. I was scrolling through history in some of the older, colder games, and they don't all necessarily push to lower output. And I, I think there's a perception that it's cold. You're somehow not going to be able to score. I thought the not be able to score thing in that game was really more of a function that Minnesota has been involved in a lot of those kinds of games because their offense is kind of plotting. And then they just wait for Adrian to explode for one. And the defense plays pretty good and tight defense. I felt a little, I don't know. It, I lost some faith in, faith in Seattle's offense. They just looked putrid on that day to me. I mean, really the reason they won that game was a, was a botched snap that ended up being a broken play, and Russell just made a play. You know, the magic that Pete Carroll was talking about in the aftermath. But other than that, they didn't do a whole lot. So I'm just I'm having a hard time just thinking they'll flip the switch on when they fly across the country to Carolina, which, again, is nipping at the heels of being one of those more complete teams like Arizona. Yeah, I was going to say, too, one thing we haven't talked about is Peyton Manning taking over the race there. I don't know what you guys think, but uh, in my opinion, I don't think that bodes well for the Broncos. They haven't really played well with him in the saddle. When he did play, obviously, he's led the NFL in interceptions. And all the whole of a sudden, just because he shows up in that last game versus San Diego Chargers, they run the ball better, the running backs hold on to the ball, he doesn't really make any plays to the air, all of a sudden, it's going to be active. Oh, he's our guy. He's going to lead us. To the promise line, you guys feel like Kubiak made the right decision there. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of of the mind that that 
they can't, they couldn't be wrong. And I know that maybe that just sounds like I'm fence setting too much, but I have a feeling that if, if they'd have put Manning in, uh, or if, I'm sorry, if they'd have put, put Osweiler back in as their starter for this game, I don't uh-huh. think Peyton Manning at this point is really psychologically, A, I think he might have pouted a little bit because he's a, I call arrogant and I don't use it arrogant as a negative thing. I think he's got a great ego, which you need that at the quarterback position. Yeah. I, I, but, but I don't think that he would have been any less effective if he had to come off the bench. And I look at Osweiler and I have to think in my head, like, dude, this guy, you have to understand, you came into the NFL. Uh, you just happen to be drafted by the team that has, you know, one of the best quarterbacks ever on it. So I think you get a sense of knowing that you're the next in line. So you can't get terribly upset if for some reason, by default, they went with him instead of you. It's just like the one, I mean, if you'd have been on any, maybe 28 of the other rosters in the NFL, that's probably going to happen to you as well. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to be the guy the next year you're after. So I really felt like they were in sort of a luxury position. They couldn't go wrong. Either guy should perform at a comparable level, at least in my eye. And honestly, I think both guys are very capable of shit in the bed too. I mean, that's how Manning got out of the position. You know, that's Manning through whatever it was. He set the record in the first half and threw four or five interceptions, whatever the hell it was. So that part of his game could still come back. So if I'm Brock Osweiler and I'm just really interested in helping my team again, start on the bench – isn't a guarantee you're not going to play. I, I still think he could have a role. And if they just started Osweiler, let's be honest, the reason he lost the gig, cause he, gig is because he had a, a huge turnover half himself. So I think if I'm Gary Kubiak, you're going to go with the hand that's not throwing it or that's not turning the ball over. I think your number one weapon right now is your running game and your defense. And the quarterback decision to me was is 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 great. You know, it's great fodder for the media. It's great for us to talk about and debate. But I don't think it's terribly consequential. I, I think they could go through the playoffs and potentially get towards the Super Bowl and never have to score more than 23 points, you know. And I got a feeling that sure. either of those two guys could get them there. So I, so I'm just of the mind that I, I understand the debate, but it's not the end of the world to me. So uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on here, and I wanted to get kind of your take on this because this is sort of the big – I, I guess because I'm obviously living and working in the New England market, it's something that we talk about a lot about how, you know, having sort of stinker performances, the Patriots of two and four in their last six games. Uh, I was trying to sort of use the, the experience of what happened with the Packers last weekend to try to encourage people to understand that, you know, some of these really elite guys like the Rogers and like Tom Brady provided their, they get the right play calling behind them and they get the right little bit of protection that they need. They can get hot and it just doesn't matter. You know, like all the other issues that they were having a couple weeks or two ago can melt away. And that's not to just, you know, I'm not trying to, to pump these guys up too much. Clearly they, they get enough love wherever they go are, wherever they go. But I kind of have it in my head that it is a very real thing. It's a very real thing to where the Packers looked atrocious uh, a couple weeks ago, really for two weeks, not great. And uh, they look great. The first quarter of the Washington game looked equally as atrocious, you know? So it wasn't like it was just the regular season. Exactly. And, but I, I, so I guess in that, now, again, I'm saying that, not saying that that guarantees that everything's going to turn around. I just think that because 
the one thing I think we undersell to people that didn't play this game, it's really tough to communicate how important game planning and practice and fixing things and, you know, just not replicating the problems you had before. Sometimes if you just run different plays, work on different things, eliminate the things that you're not very good at, you look like an entirely different football team. And I felt like the Packers were kind of in that situation. I wrote on them just like you wrote on them last week and kept coming away from it thinking, oh, they just need to do this and they just need to do that. And if they don't do that, they'll be fine. And I I think a lot of that played out. And I I, I bring that up because I think the Patriots kind of sit in the same place. Uh, Quick game, as you mentioned with with Aaron Rodgers, Uh, the Patriots, when they transition into that, they can't live in it. They can't do 60, uh, you know, 60 pass attempts on the game and go wire to wire in quick game. But I do feel like it's a team that they mix and match that element. It saves them where the protection, you know, they've got – an extremely young interior offensive line. It's they're starting two rookies and the center is a second year player and the, the tackles are all injured. So uh, if you're going to go quick, I think you can really save the day. Uh, so I don't know. I, I just, I simply bring that point up because I think it, it's at least interesting to watch in sort of a Petri dish kind of situation and see how it all shakes out. Because I don't think that uh, definitively because they haven't looked good in the last couple of weeks that I will be surprised one bit if they walk out there against Kansas city and put up 30 points. And also you can't discount the fact that they understand how to play in the playoffs. It's almost like their game elevates just because they understand their applications. They have experience. They know, like you just said, yeah, you can have a string of somewhat rough outings, but you get in the playoffs and you put it together, those string of rough outings all of a sudden become forgotten. Something on the carpet, like they never happened. Almost like the, the eraser board, just go up and erase it all. And so they understand that element, that aspect of it. Sometimes that brings when they get into the playoffs. And I thought that was Aaron, to be honest. When I spoke to him pregame, he was relaxed. He was pumped. He's excited, right. you know. And everybody talked to me about how their Thursday practice leading up to that game was like the best they'd seen all year, the media people that had seen the media portion of it. And then Aaron right. was, you know, loose and, you know, excited to be in that position. And so I, I do believe these guys, like you look at Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, they've made their name in the playoffs. They didn't make their name in the regular season. And because of such, they understand the upside so much that it's almost like their focus gets honed in more, enhances more as soon as they get in the playoffs because they know it's the ultimate eraser because that ultimately, and, and it's, that what they've experienced, is what defines them as their legacy and as players that we currently know them to be in the NFL. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I'm excited to see how it plays out because we've got a lot of the good ones still left in this tournament. Uh, now, I, I spent all that time building them up. I let you build them up, uh, and now I'm going to tear them down a little bit in that I actually think, and not not personally, but I actually think that we're in a unique situation here in this particular playoffs in that I think the strength of the teams that are left are actually more defensive-minded. I actually think that that the, the deciding factor here, whether it be Denver's defense or Carolina's defense, or quite frankly, the better the two units in New England right now is the defense, not the offense. Uh, Kansas yeah. City is very much a defensively-led team. Uh, Seattle, as we mentioned earlier, uh, I think those are some of your best – I think Arizona, I think some of these teams – that in my view have, and again, it's just guessing and prognosticating here a little bit, but the the teams that I want to guess that I think will get through this thing, my feelings rest more with how I think they can defend in this environment. And maybe that's just because I'm a defensive guy and you're a defensive guy and all that kind of stuff. But I guess my, my hopes would rest with the team much more strongly when I feel like they can stop you. 
And the notion that they'll be able to score some points will figure that out because they'll play field position and the game sort of changes in the playoffs. So I think that's in part why I'm a little less uh, apt to get behind, I don't know, like Pittsburgh. Like Pittsburgh's a team to me, I expect a quick exit. Maybe I'll be dead wrong on that and I'll, I'll acknowledge as much when it happens, but I think they're just too inconsistent uh, defensively. It wasn't exposed much last week because they were facing a young quarterback. Uh, they're a team that to me could really, really struggle this weekend back to the Packers as well, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the, the Redskins did a lot of the things that could hurt them. They've had, they've been so banged up in their secondary this year. Uh, although some of those guys have sort of come back, but anyway, that, that's just sort of my, my little parting shot, I guess, of, of things to look for in the go ahead weekend. I know we're in the fantasy football mode and we're thinking about who's going to get touches and who's going to get this and uh, yards and all those kinds of things and points, I really think that this is going to be a defensively led tournament. That's just maybe my bias out there front and center. Yeah, I mean, I would say for the majority of teams that holds true, because even like with a team like the Packers that have historically, and I bring them up because I just know them so well, their mindset, especially right. defensively, historically they've relied so heavily on their offense that just defensively you almost you go out, you don't play with that same kind of edge because – you, you realize, and you've had experiences with it, that, hey, you know, you give up a few points, you know your offense can make up for it. But then all of a sudden, now in a situation where you got to carry the load, the pressure really increases, right. the stress increases to the point where you're not used to it. But I would say that the anomaly is Arizona because their offense, man, and I, they are an offense that they put defenses in huge dilemmas. And David Johnson's been a right. big reason why they're running back. And it's because he brings that power element to keep defenses honest that really try to just overload against protecting themselves against any vertical threat from a really good wide receiving core that has it all. With Larry Fitzgerald and Floyd and, and Brown in terms of speed, length, size, and then savviness in terms of running routes, that's what you're going to get from that group. And so as a defense, you have to acknowledge that. But at the same time, David Johnson keeps you honest to where you just can't all of a sudden say, okay, we're going to tear them to run the ball on us. Well, if you do that, you're going to run the ball down your throat. And then on top of it, Carson Palmer, man, I, the thing that's been so impressive – about his game this year. Here he's had two ACLs, one that was a uh, non-contact ACL last year where he just planted wrong. And having had two ACLs myself, I understand the last hurdle to get over generally is that confidence, the psychological hurdle. And to see Carson move so confidently, so smoothly in the pocket, I mean, he almost looks more athletic this year than maybe he has his whole career. I'm even going back to his days in college. But a lot of the times where they win in a pass game is because he's able to buy time in the pocket. And so I look at that Arizona Cardinal offense, they're the one team that if they get hot and they start rolling, they could win it with their offense. But everybody else, I have to agree that their defense base, their defenses have to show up in order for them to have a chance. And, yeah, the Pittsburgh Steelers especially with uh, Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> he, said, he, he said it's great today on NFL.com. I'm hour to hour, which pretty much says I am so I can't even tell you how I'm going to feel tomorrow, except I'm probably going to be, I mean, right. he's not going to, be able to throw the ball very consistently, and that obviously really hurts their chances of having any type of success at Denver. Although it's, it's a possibility that they can go in there and shock everybody, but I highly doubt it. Yeah. Well, uh, earmuffs to any children that might be willis to this. No swearing here, but uh, I tore an AC joint uh, and played through it. Uh, I couldn't wipe my ass. Uh, and that was, <laughs> so I, I, I say that in that I could get through practice. I had real trouble getting my arms up over my 
wrapped. I had it padded. Mobility was really tough, but I could survive it. And again, granted, I'm not throwing a football clearly, but to his point, you had hour to the day there. Oh, no, just a fire hose, you know, so it was great. No. <laughs> Dang it. And a really, yes, and a really friend, and a friendly pet. No, I'm joking. But they, the, the, the idea there was <laughs> the idea there was definitely, man, you can't you can't staple a stack of papers. But when you get, you know, a little Tordal shot or you take a pill or something like that and you get out on the field and the adrenaline starts flowing and you get lubricated, you're able to make it through it. And I, I can't explain that, but provided I, I think my grade was actually a little higher than what I've heard his, his described as I won't be surprised, you know, maybe he's not reaching back and flinging at 70 yards like he sometimes does, but if he can manage sure. it, uh, I, I won't be surprised if that's the case. And I'll close the show here with sort of one final thought and you brought it up. You actually, you stole my closing thought. I think what you said was perfect. I actually had got one team that I think, at least as we stand today, that is as good offensively and defensively, or as scary both sides of the ball. To me, that's still Arizona. Now, we've still got two more shows to finish out the year after this. We may be back here in Arizona out of the tournament next week, and i got to completely start over. But at least where things stand today, <laughs> I really <laughs> like them for that reason because I look at football tournaments basically as – insurance policies like i want to know that you know we've got eight little soldiers here which of the one can screw up one part which happens and there are enough leftover parts that can still push them through to get you know to get to the other side and arizona just seems like a team that they've got enough offensive weapons from john brown to michael floyd to larry if you have to rely upon him to but David Johnson, sure, yeah. they, they've just got all these different options. Fells gets involved in the tight end position occasionally. Some of the other wide receivers, I mean, they, they're deep. And that's not even counting the, the, the fact that I think this is a team that could win a 14 to 13 playoff game if they had to with just def- defense turning the ball over or some big sure. punter kick return. So, and that's, you know, if I got to gamble a dollar, and right now, obviously, the returning Super Bowl champions would be in that conversation as well if I knew they were healthy. I just need to see one more performance out of them because they've looked so different for the last month that it would just seem too homerish for me to presume them back into that championship state that we haven't seen them in for a while. So that's where I sit. I'm going to really look forward to checking out the games this week. I'm pumped up, fired, full day of games Saturday and Sunday. Uh, you doing any more deportes this weekend, Brady? Yeah, I'll be out in Carolina on Sunday covering the Seahawks-Panther game. So I'll be front and center to one of probably the more physical games, both mentally and physically, of the whole playoff divisional round here. So looking forward to seeing that. That'd be cool. Can you put a little uh... – is it possible when you're doing sort of the, the, the Spanish translation, can you put a little twang on it? Can you put like a little Carolina, a little barbecue on the tail end of your Spanish? Does that work? Is there, is there a way to, to manipulate the, uh, the lyric? Now, I could, but I don't know if anybody would understand me. You know, I already got the Gringo accent <laughs> mixed in there. You know, you had the Carolina right. twang, you're really going to be out there. <laughs> You're really going to be confusing people. We'll find a good barbecue spot there, uh, mustard sauce, vinegar, all that. I, I went down there and worked a oh, yeah. preseason game for the Patriots, Carolina preseason game, found a great barbecue spot. So I'm envious. I'll be up here in the cold at the uh, at the Patriots-Chiefs game and uh, enjoying life. So have a great weekend, buddy. Thanks for the show. Awesome insight as always. Take care. Take care, bud. Have a good one. And that's all we've got for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. 
You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from these guys and others, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow if on Twitter at FBFF. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.